put down your pins, grab your headphones, and turn off the television. It's time for your favorite podcast show that supports people like you and me. Available on all podcast channels and on YouTube. It's the Dr. Bryant Speaks Podcast Show and your host, Dr. Bryant. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Dr. Brian Speaks. Our show, of course, is for all those military veterans and families out there. My name is Dr. Bryant. As you know, I'm also a veteran and I am, of course, your host. So if you're new to listening to this broadcast, I want to say welcome. You're going to enjoy this show. I'm going to bring on somebody who's going to have a wealth of information and knowledge for you. And if you're new to the show, I want to say, you know what? You're in for a treat. We have a lot of things and a lot of topics that we share on this show. And if you are just basically catching up, you know you can go down to any of the podcast networks, Spotify, iHeart, any one of those, and you'll be able to find all of our previous episodes. Also go to the social media, Twitter, Instagram, etc., or simply just go to our website at drbryanspeaks.com. Any of these particular platforms will give you the details, give you the links of the show, especially our YouTube, where you can actually watch the videos and have inside information about our guests. So speaking of guests, I want to say welcome to Dr. Luke McLeese. He is the director of the Office of Military Affairs and Services at St. Leo University. So say hello, Dr. McLeese. Hi. Hi, everyone. Aaron, thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. And I'm really excited to uh, be able to share everything that I'm working on with all the listeners. Yeah, we're, we're going to exactly we're going to get into that because we definitely want to make sure that the information gets out there, which supports our show in general. So before we get into it, tell us about yourself. Give us an idea of who you are, your relationship to the university. And clearly, you are obviously like myself. You have that academic title. So feel free to elaborate. Absolutely. Uh, thank you. So uh, about me, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I am a veteran of the United States Marine Corps. Uh, I'm also uh, someone who comes, my academic background is in education primarily. And that's where I got my start. I first, when I got out of the military, I had, um, you know, an interesting transition in college. It probably wasn't the best. Uh, I had just been in a combat situation two months prior, and then all of a sudden was on a college campus. And uh, I was met with an advisor who was like, why are you here? So I, I, I kind of figured things out with uh, a degree under my belt. And then I went back to school for a second bachelor's degree. And that's where I found education. Uh, and, and my base was uh, Spanish. I, I majored in Spanish and Hispanic studies just because I wanted to, to know it. I just wanted to learn it properly. Um, and so from there, I started teaching after that in kindergarten and elementary school. And then it was very apparent to me that I need to get a master's degree. So I did that in, in teaching world language education. So once I did that, I started teaching in public school. That helped me transition. I became certified, got my master's, started teaching in public school. And at that point, I was teaching high school. This transition for me to go to a laboratory school 
which is a school run by a university to teach teachers how to teach. So that was kind of my gateway into the College of Education at Eastern Kentucky University. Uh, so I started there and then within a year I was teaching uh, for the College of Education all of the methods of teaching world languages and these type of classes. Um, it was during this time that I started working on my doctorate in which my doctorate uh, really researched that intersection of where does culture and intercultural nuances overlap with language. Mm. which is something that's fascinating to me. Yeah, interesting. So also during this time, uh, as I'm teaching at the College of Education, I was approached to teach for the Veteran Studies Program at Eastern Kentucky University, which at the time was, there, there was only one, it was the Vanguard Program in the nation. And so I started teaching the foundational courses for Veteran Studies and really helped kind of establish that field with publications and presentations and teaching and just sharing what we were doing uh, and, you know, helping people establish minors and certificates at their own universities. So I did that up until uh, um, 2018. Uh, my wife, she had, there was a little change in her family uh, and we had to move to Florida to help support my mother-in-law. And um, I was actually briefly unemployed and I started talking to someone who was a board member and they're like, man, your background, they need a director of military affairs and services at St. Leo University. I think, you know, while it's a, a bit of a change for you, uh, you'd be a good fit. So I uh, looked at it, you know, went through the whole process, all the thousand interviews and all that stuff. And <laughs> that's how I wound up here. Yes, you know, I actually had a little bit of a stint. I uh, teach uh, over at Bremen University. A lot of people know them as Chapman University. They actually started off as a military school. And so as a part-time adjunct uh, over there, I was appointed into a liaison similar to your title. However, I'm not, I wasn't a paid position, unfortunately, but my role was specifically to be sort of a liaison between the students and the faculty and also to help faculty understand how to communicate to those military students because a lot of those faculty members were not military and they were starting to identify and find out that they were struggling in how to communicate so give us some insight on your role and what exactly does that mean and what do you do in your role at st leo Excellent. Well, I'm glad you had that experience because that's exactly one of the things that I, I do and I deal with every day. Uh, and I'm glad you had that experience so when, when I'm talking to you and hopefully it'll paint a, a bigger picture for the audience. Um, one of the roles is just exactly what you have, what you experience. I go in and kind of in the mediate, mediator, uh, the barrier, I, and this is where my background in intercultural communication really comes into play. And, you know, there's one of the things that I looked early when I was researching, I was like, well, they have this for languages, they have this for other cultures, why not the military? And I would say, Aaron, what you experience is one of the number one needs on every college campus every university campus in this country. Um, 
professors come with the best of intentions. Uh, however, sometimes those intentions are, are loaded with stereotypes or there's a misunderstanding of what someone has experienced for the four, eight, you know, up to 20 years prior. Uh, they don't understand that the professor does not understand that this isn't the 18 to 24 year old who's just going to school. Uh, they take these other variables out, like this person could be married, they could have children, they could have, you know, a whole host of, of other things. Um, also the culture, like, you know, you, you're used to this from your military background, and I think your listeners are used to this. In the military, we tend to communicate in nice, clear, concise uh, pieces of, of communication, whether that's written or spoken. And sometimes professors don't understand why uh, somebody doesn't want to write 10 pages when they feel like they have made their point in three pages. You know, so all of these kind of nuances um, that exist in what research points to as the civilian military gap. I, I feel like there are instances where it's just hyper inflated in academics and there really has to be that person like yourself, that person like my role where we're educating the professor, we're faculty staff, but also the students. Uh, we have to say to the students like, okay, look, this is a university. Things work really slow here. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not get results first and then ask questions later type of atmosphere anymore. You know, and so so kind of working that on both ends uh, is huge. And you know, I think for this office, my number one goal is to remove whatever barrier that is that that is getting in the way of a student being successful in their own terms. Right, right, sometimes, yeah, tough. Yeah, that is very tough. And sometimes that is exactly uh, being able to, to mediate and talk and, and translate and help people understand. So education is a huge part of this office. I think also this office, time and time again, you know, we deal with financial needs we deal with uh, simply connecting people to the right resources. Maybe we're not the last stop, but we get them to where they need to be on campus, you know, uh, with counselors, with uh, ADA, with uh, financial services, with tutors, with whoever that might be. And then also with outside entities, like who's the nonprofit that's going to treat them right and, and do good by them. Uh, so we spend a lot of time curating organizations, you know, getting rid of the charlatans and um, who who else uh, for in the for-profit sector, who in the VA, you know, does somebody truly have a, a need where they need to be service connected and they don't know where to start or they're in denial because they're still in a, you know, grunt mentality where they're just going to change socks and take Motrin. So these yeah. are some of the things that we do. Yeah, your, your hands are definitely full. Um, you know, again, my relationship, I was actually on one of my shows, I, I was talking to a psychologist and we were talking about how when you go into a new uh, therapy session, you have to build that rapport with a new therapist. Well, 
in my experience, both as a teacher as well as that liaison, I noticed that the students, the military vets, are also assessing that faculty member. And I have had to have that bridge where I've had to communicate on behalf of the teacher because they're not a vet. And so there's no rapport and the teachers are having a hard time getting through. And so, yeah, you have to, there's a whole lot going on. And I loved how you said, it's not just the classroom, it's also the resources. If you have a vet who's struggling and they're having external distractions, how are they going to focus on their academics if they're going through a divorce or their, you know, medication is not right or VA is not giving them the benefits? So there's like a bigger picture that you have to be challenged with that you're going to have to help that student. So I appreciate that you've acknowledged that because it clearly shows. I mean, I think you wrapped up your interview just in that last segment because that shows you're aware of all the challenges for our students. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's it's one of those cases, too, where, you know, you mentioned the rapport. Um, while we can say like these things generally happen or, or tend to happen with veteran community, it's not everyone. And so the very first thing I try to do with this office is have them get to know me, have them get to know where I'm located or where I am in the whole ecosystem of St. Leo. And, and start to put my face with the name and, and let them know I've, I've literally been in their shoes. I've right. been in the same situation. Um, you know, most, and that's, and you might've experienced this. I don't know what rank you were, but you know, when I got out, I was an E5. And so when someone on campus meets me with a doctorate, the first assumption is, oh, you are an officer. And so when I tell, especially a student, when I tell them, no, no, man, I, you know, I was a sergeant, then the rapport, it sometimes it's like it automatically builds. Right. And because I literally did the same path of life that they did. Then that's where we start to make headway because then I get to know that individual and the individual's needs that's, you know, not only specific to a veteran, but specific to them as a human, you know? Right. Right, absolutely. And yes, I was enlisted as well, so I definitely understand. Got a question for you. I think I want to make sure I captured this right. You said you transitioned into to Florida. Was that did I hear that right where your mother-in-law was at? Correct. That was yeah. So that's interesting because I go to Florida a lot and one thing I know about that community is it has a heavy Latino uh, environment. And yet that's what you studied was that particular language. So has that been proven to come to, to I mean, is there a lot of veteran, Hispanics, Latino um, culture there where you've been able to leverage your background in Spanish? Absolutely. Uh, I think it, it always, it always takes somebody, uh, they, they're always surprised when, <laughs> when I'm able to communicate or when I understand um, something from a cultural standpoint, you know, because you're exactly right. Specifically in Hillsborough County, in Tampa area, mm -hmm. uh, very large Cuban population, uh, very large Puerto Rican population. Both of these populations also tend to be populations that serve in the military. Yeah. Uh, so we have a very, and, and on top of that, uh, Hillsborough County has one of the largest veteran populations in all the United States. So this like, this like makes a perfect storm for for these skills that I thought I just like haphazardly went around and acquired. Right. 
Right. Uh, but absolutely, written communication, I'm, I'm able to double anything out in English. I do the same in Spanish, uh, as well as verbal communication. And you know, there's sometimes when uh, I'm dealing with students, particularly I had a couple a year ago, that uh, they had parents that lived in their house that didn't even speak English. Well, it was very beneficial for me when I was helping this family to just go ahead and, and lay out the order of business in Spanish. So that way we weren't going back and forth and, and you know, mom and dad weren't in the dark or anything like that. So right, right. that's come in handy. Sounds like you were able to build a good rapport with those parents, which would probably help the transition for the students. So that's pretty amazing. Um, you know, you, you, I know you've worked on a lot of uh, projects, but I'm really interested about the book you're working on. If I correct me if I'm wrong, Veterans in Academics. Is that the title? That is correct. Okay. Is talk, correct. A, talk about that. Give us, a, I'm sure it comes a lot of your history, your background, working with veterans. Obviously, you're in the academic field, so you put it all together. Um, you are an academic person, so, you, you know, that's kind of what we do when we get that PhD level. So, <laughs> talk about that. Right. So, so, it's interesting because, you know, this whole project really, really is born out of me doing exactly what we're doing now. I'm talking to someone who has had a similar experience that I've had, right? And here's what I found out. Uh, one, there's this huge stereotype, like we're this crazy unicorn that's out there. And for some reason, people in the military aren't supposed to get a doctorate. You know, they're not supposed to get the PhD, the EDD, the Psych D, the whatever. They're not, it's just like this glass ceiling that's unobtainable. And the truth is, uh, that is an enormous fallacy that there are their faculty at every university, their staff at every university that have doctorates. There are people who have doctorates who work outside of higher education, who are veterans, uh, you know, and really it's flooded. There, there are people in high leadership that are presidents of schools, vice presidents of schools that uh, have that are veterans. But the narrative the popular narrative in society doesn't really acknowledge that. So what I've found that's really interesting, Aaron, in talking to people, and, and I found that it was very worth sharing all of their stories, was there's this whole evolution. And while everyone has a different story, you know, the common threads are the things that we're talking about right now. Uh, these people that have doctorates, that have been in the military, have persevered through a lot during higher education. That's a common thread. Uh, really tenacious people who haven't taken no for an answer. Um, most people I've talked to, they are most definitely the, not only uh, the first doctorate in their family, but for most, the first person who's gotten uh, college education at all. So it's kind of like they, uh, I think the theme is they bootstrap themselves with the military to get an education and then just kept going, you know? Um, and so there's really been some amazing stories that have emerged. So with veterans and academics, uh, it's really worthwhile sitting down and, and hearing and, and learning more about these people. It occurred to, to me and a, another editor who's in California, Michael Bevers, uh, we sat down and we're like, okay, like we could tell this story and it would probably be dry, but what if we collected this story 
from each individual and built a book where each chapter was a different individual's story of from the total conception of, well, I think I want to join the military to this is what I'm doing now. And this is, you know, how I got, got there. So really some, a reader could pop in, read the book, read it a chapter at a time and have a different experience. Uh, but that different experience would also help dispel this uh, stereotype that is kind of overarching in academics and, and popular culture. I hope you have been enjoying the show. Well, do not go anywhere just yet. We have a continuing episode with Dr. Bryant Speaks. 